We're grateful for everyone who supports us. Thanks to all our sponsors. This is an ICRT podcast. Enjoy the show. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined today by Nicholas Smith of the UK Telegraph here in Taipei. Thanks for having me. And by Donovan Smith once again in Taichung. And great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing the European Parliament's Vice President visiting Taiwan this week and a controversial comment by the EU's incoming ambassador to China. The Central Epidemic Command Centre reshuffle, sparking talks of a change in coronavirus direction. And the owners of motorcycles greater than 250cc holding a series of protests over the ban on freeway use rights this month. But we'll begin with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Tuesday saying that it hadn't received any information about a planned visit to Taiwan by US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The statement came after the Financial Times newspaper cited six people familiar with the matter as saying that Pelosi could travel to Taiwan next month. Those cited by the newspaper said the 82-year-old lawmaker is planning to lead a delegation to Taiwan in August to show support for Taipei as it faces increasing pressure from Beijing. Pelosi, of course, was previously reported to be planning to travel to Taiwan in early April as part of a wider trip to Asia. However, she had to scuttle that trip after testing positive for the coronavirus. Now, a day later, US President Joe Biden told reporters that US military officials believe that it's not a good idea for Pelosi to visit Taiwan at the moment. Now, Biden's comments came a day after the Chinese foreign ministry said it would take resolute and strong measures should Pelosi proceed with the reported visit to Taiwan. Now, Biden stopped short of suggesting that Pelosi not travel to Taiwan Taiwan, but speculation that, well, you know, he could stymie the trip is rife after it is reported that he expects to speak with Chinese President Xi Jinping sometime within the next 10 days. Now, former US Defense Secretary Mark Esper was in Taiwan while all that was happening, leading a delegation from the Atlantic Council here for talks with government officials. There you go. And he told reporters in Taipei that Washington should not allow China to decide the travel schedules of its officials. Now speaking on the final day of his four-day visit to the island, Esper said Beijing should not have any say on the travel schedules of US officials. And according to Esper, the incident once again highlights the problem with Washington's long-standing one-China policy, which he believes has run its course and needs to be updated and modernised. And he went on to say that he believes it's important that American political leaders visit Taiwan, understand the situation here and have a chance to meet with Taiwan's political leadership in order to get a better sense of what's happening. Now, Esper this week also said that Washington should move away from its long-standing policy of strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan. And during a meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen, Esper said the US's one-China policy has outlived its usefulness and it's time to move, move away from the strategic ambiguity policy. And he went on to say that he believes that it's important that Washington begins a national discussion on this topic as sooner rather than later. So, Nicola, Nancy Pelosi, will she or won't she? And do you think the cancellation, if it's cancelled, was due to Biden's tete-a-tete with Xi Jinping in the coming weeks? Oh, lots of difficult questions there. And, you know, we can only really speculate about a lot of that. But there is a, a, a big question as to why Biden said what he did out loud. I mean, if he could have gone quietly to to Nancy Pelosi and perhaps suggested that the timing of this trip isn't a good idea, but he said this out loud to reporters. So that now puts the US in quite a very visible dilemma of, you know, 
are they seen to be weak by China? They open themselves to the criticism that they are responding to um, China's outrage at, at Nancy Pelosi wanting to come to Taiwan. Um, and uh, Or does the trip go ahead at what clearly is also a very sensitive time? And there are you know, genuine concerns that the timing of the trip could lead to some heightened risk of escalation from China um, at the moment. We're, we're just in the run-up to the, the Chinese Communist Party Congress where Xi Jinping is trying to consolidate his power. He's trying to get a third term and he needs to be seen domestically to be tough. So, uh, you know, my sense is that that's where... Uh, the sense of concern in the US is coming in. That's more what what Biden's comments are based on. Uh, just you know, China's very sensitive national politics at the moment, and whether the timing of of Nancy Pelosi's visit would whether it benefits Taiwan or whether the risks would would outweigh that. Um, so it it just seems to have been a bit of a clumsy moment for Biden to actually say that out loud, out loud, and and now he presents the U.S. with you know this quandary of what to do diplomatically and and you know how to be seen not to be caving into to Beijing. Yeah, I, I, there, there's several things I think that are going on here. Um, uh, one, I mean, I, I believe it was Biden responding to a reporter's question, which kind of put him on the spot uh, publicly, which is kind of unfortunate because I, he, he, you know, he he has in past been actually fairly, at least in since he's become president. <laughs> if we look at his long record, he's kind of you know veered back and forth on this, but you know, he's been relatively strong on Taiwan. Uh, since becoming president. Now, on the other hand, you've got the Chinese uh, state media. This is something that I'm finding a little bit hard right now to gauge, because it used to be there was kind of a baseline level of outrage that Chinese state-owned media would maintain, but recently it's been ramping up. So the the amount of outrage that the uh, Chinese state-owned media was expressing and you know the TAO the Taiwan Affairs Office and and uh, officials the amount of outrage that they would express you could kind of gauge but now you kind of can't because they've been ramping it up over the last few months so it's really kind of hard to gauge whether the amount of outrage that they're expressing is uh, genuinely much higher than the baseline or whether it is whether this is just the baseline moving higher up so it's it's actually very hard right now to determine uh, the level of outrage or anger coming out of China because if you take it at face value using Chinese state media from say three or four months ago as a baseline it looks like China is extremely outraged extreme you know they and because they're using very strong terms like they're going to take uh, firm actions uh, the US is going to suffer consequences but they've been using a lot of this kind of language over the last few months and so it's it, you know it's very very hard to determine 
what the actual level of outrage is coming out of China. So you've got that, and then you've got the U, uh, from the U.S. side, you've got Biden being pressed uh, by the press and coming out with a kind of a vague statement. But what I found odd is that Biden basically made it sound like he wanted he had he didn't care himself about uh, uh, Pelosi going to Taiwan, but the military had a problem with it, and and you'll notice he didn't say it was the State Department. Uh, he didn't say it was AIT. It was the military, which I also found a very unusual comment, because usually the Biden administration, and you notice this right from when Biden came into office. Um, State Department, uh, Department of Defense, uh, ever, uh, straight across the administration, uh, you had the same language with, and same terminology was being used when they referred to Taiwan. The relationship is rock solid and so on. So you had a kind of consistency across the administration, but and but this is kind of jumping out of that, which is a little bit odd, and I found it kind of jarring. And of course, Nicola Nancy Pelosi was cited as saying by the media this morning, Taiwan Time, that she she didn't know why the military had said that, but she said something along the lines of maybe they were afraid that China would shoot my aircraft out of the sky. Well, it, I don't think that's a risk. I mean, that's that's quite um, fanciful. But I, I I would definitely agree with. Um, what Donovan said that uh, this is a very unpredictable time at the minute it's it's highly sensitive time politically in China and Xi Jinping wants to do everything that he can to to consolidate his power so you've got to factor that into these considerations Um, you know of course uh, US or, or EU officials should be able to come to Taiwan whenever they want but you have to you know look at it diplomatically if it's the best move right now and it is an interesting point about the military have said that they don't believe it's a good time a good idea right now so they're not saying don't ever go but they say they said you know Biden's words were the military don't think or they think it's not a good idea right now and it, this also comes at a time when General Mark Milley, um, the the most senior ranking general in the US, when there were reports this week that he has commissioned uh, an investigation into interactions between the Chinese and US military in the South China Sea and the Indo-Pacific over the past five years. And that does suggest that, that you know, they're, they're perhaps looking at some kind of unusual operations or more aggressive actions on, on the part of the Chinese. And, you know, what do the what are the military looking at? What are their concerns? We don't really know. We we can only speculate that that there is some reasoning behind this, whether Nancy Pelosi's been been told or not. But I certainly don't think it's a direct threat towards her. Um, and and you have seen, as Donovan said, that you know this ramping up of rhetoric in China. Um, the former editor of Global Times was suggesting that you know China could, rather than just send military warplanes to the the air defense identification zone in Taiwan, that they could fly across Taiwan itself, you know, into Taiwanese airspace, and that that's certainly a huge escalation. You know, who knows how much 
influence he has, but often, you know, things that he says is a reflection of the kind of general feeling among the, the Chinese elite. Um, and we've also seen suggestions that, um, or speculation that that this could be similar to the 1995 um, missile crisis when Li Tongwei went to to the U.S. And you know that that may be taking it too far. Um, but the the thing is that we are in this quite unpredictable time at the minute, where I'm not sure anybody really knows how Beijing would respond. And of course, Donovan, former U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper, was less than impressed by Biden's comments. Yeah, well, he wouldn't be. He was a, a Trump appointee, so you know that that's not not too surprising. But um, and another thing about uh, Esper, and if you notice, for example, also with Mike Pompeo, is that there there have been several of these ex-Trump uh, appointees who, when out of office, are, uh, you know, call for things like the end to the One China policy, the end to uh, strategic ambiguity. But when they were actually in office and when they could have actually done something, um, they, they, you know, they, they were a little bit less enthusiastic and didn't do anything. Um, but, um, but actually, to get back to something that... Um, Nicholas said, I, I think she's absolutely right that we've got the 20th Party Congress coming up uh, for the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, Xi, Jin, Xi Jinping is looking to get another term as uh, the chairman of the nation. And not president, by the way, that's not actually, that's the way they translate it, but it's, it's actually chairman is the, is the actual title. Uh, that he would get, um, and so there does seem to be, and there's right now a lot of economic insecurity going on in China right now. Now it, it hasn't completely come unglued yet, but there's a lot of signs that things are potentially going to unravel very rapidly, and so I, I suspect there's a lot of insecurity right now in China uh, and a lot of fear going on. So it, it's not surprising that a, that a lot of the statements coming out of China are a bit tense and a bit brittle. And I think there's a lot of, how do I put it, um, posturing by Chinese uh, state media and, because I think there's internal heat and internal pressure. And so they're posturing loudly and more effusively to the outside world to, I think, shore up their positions and make themselves look more um, dependable to the leadership in a potential time of crisis. Moving on now, albeit slightly, the European Parliament's Vice President, Nicola Beer, was in Taiwan this week. And speaking to reporters on her arrival here, she said there's no room for Chinese aggression in democratic Taiwan and it's time for Europe to stand with the island as both are members of the family of democracies. Now, according to Beer, Taiwan's bloom is Europe's bloom and Europe will not turn a blind eye to the Chinese threat toward the island. And she went on to say that Europe was late for Hong Kong, but it won't be late for Taiwan. Now, Beer also described 
described her trip to Taiwan this week in her official capacity as being meant as a sort of terence to Beijing. Now, as Beer was in Taipei, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs had to go out and slam the European Union's incoming ambassador to China for indicating his support for the peaceful cross-strait reunification. Now, the Spanish official made the comment in an interview with a Spanish newspaper. And speaking during that interview, he said the EU would support peaceful reunification instead of independence for Taiwan. So, Nicola, the EU person is here, or the European Parliament person is here, and the EU incoming official for China is talking about reunification. Yes, it's all very confusing, isn't it? But that's really the issue with the European Union, that you've got to remember that it's a block of 27 nations who all have different national policies, and there is no one coherent view or position in within the EU on Taiwan and China. And you also, within the European Union itself, you have different institutions. You have the European Parliament, the European Commission, the Council. And so it's very difficult to have a coherent approach to a very complicated, sensitive issue like Taiwan and cross-strait relations. So you have Nicola Beer, she represents the, the European Parliament, which has in recent months and years actually been very supportive overall of um, Taiwan and democracy and also of, of Hong Kong. And you have the European Commission with, with its own interests. And then you have 27 different member states who all have their own national policy towards China. So it's hugely complicated. And I think that means that someone like the, the Spanish um, new EU ambassador should not make definitive statements like the EU supports peaceful reunification of Taiwan and China, because it's just not true. He can't, he can't take it upon himself to make that kind of weighty statement about such a, a hugely sensitive issue. And Donovan, do you think possibly this was a faux pas or possibly that's his opinion and he was putting it out there? I think he's representing the interests of the Spanish government. I, if I believe, if I remember this correctly, the Spanish government follows the one China principle, which is China's stance that there is one China and Taiwan is part of China, not and does not have a one China policy like the United States, the UK, Japan, and many other countries, which is that Taiwan's status is actually undetermined. Um, and they recognize or acknowledge that China claims it, um, and that's a big, that's a, a very big difference in diplomatic terms. It's the difference between saying that that China's claims on Taiwan are true, and China's claims on Taiwan are yeah, we, we get that you believe that. That's the fundamental breakdown. The Spanish uh, follow the one China principle, which is China's line. So this diplomat would have been coached and taught on China's line because that is, I believe, the Spanish official stance on the issue. And do you think it was a bit embarrassing for the poor European Parliament vice president? Well, yeah, probably. Um, a, this is interesting. For, AFP was reporting that... Um, that, that uh, she said that the EU backs the island's sovereign existence, is the wording AFP used. Um, and so if she did specifically refer to Taiwan's sovereign existence, um, that is uh, definitely not only <laughs> not the, the one China principle, which China follows, or the, even the one China policy, 
that's going beyond and saying that Taiwan is, is sovereign. The quote here is, don't doubt Europe's reassurance in your strive for a democratic, peaceful, and sovereign existing. So she's basically saying there that although she doesn't specifically specify Taiwan or the Republic of China, she does seem to be saying that there is something that is sovereign and independent here on Taiwan. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And newly appointed Central Epidemic Command Centre head Victor Wong began hosting the centre's daily coronavirus prep briefings this week after he officially replaced Chen Shijong on Monday. Now Deputy Transport Minister Chen Yenbo and Deputy Economics Minister Chen Zhangqi were also this week appointed as Deputy Centre Heads following the resignation of previous Centre Deputy Head Deputy Interior Minister Chen Songyen. Now Wang's taking over the reins amid reports the CECC could be downgraded from a level one facility. Now the Epidemic Command Centre was elevated to a level one facility in late February of 2020 due to the worsening global coronavirus situation and that gave the government the authority to initiate quarantine mandates. Now Premier Su Jung Chung on Tuesday said the government is currently not considering downgrading its status and speaking prior to his first meeting with the newly appointed command centre head the Premier went on to say that although the pandemic has slowed the Centre's level will only be downgraded under certain conditions and after very serious consideration of the situation. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen this past weekend said the government is now carefully evaluating whether to open Taiwan to the world once again and let international tourism once again come here as life gradually returns to normal. And there has been talk that the government could downgrade the current 3 plus 4 quarantine policy to a 0 plus 7 policy. However, the Premier this week avoided any commitment to that telling reporters only that any adjustments to border controls remain based on the overall coronavirus situation, both here in Taiwan and overseas. So, Donovan, talk of downgrading the command centre, but then suddenly talk of not downgrading it, and some rather confusing words from the president about reopening Taiwan as soon as possible so life can gradually return to normal. Yeah, it's... uh great to have clarity, isn't it? Um, Obviously, everybody in the tourism business and uh, people's livelihoods depend on uh, on this, and a lot of families and and businesses are are looking forward to a lot of these openings, but with no clarity, they can't make any plans, and they're already taking a lot of damage right now. So I'm sure that they're pretty frustrated with uh, these kind of vague pronouncements that don't actually give them any any clarity. Yeah, I mean, I I think there is a realization in in Taiwan that that we do need to move on and I, I think you know Taiwan's policy has served it very well the the quarantine policy saved a lot of lives at the start of the pandemic it it saved the economy as well but there the rest of the world is really has really started to just get on with things and you you can't completely ignore the pandemic it still has obviously public health implications and we have to keep adapting, we have to keep getting better vaccines, we have to get better treatments. 
and you know we can't just pretend it's it's not happening at all but i do think that we we also have to be realistic about not keeping Taiwan closed forever, that you have to readjust at some point. Other countries in the region are doing that. South Korea and Singapore are doing that. Uh, their their health systems are not being overwhelmed. And I think that's really, you know, the benchmark that needs to be used that if, if or one of the major benchmarks, there are, there are others, obviously, but it, that if the hospitals and the healthcare system are not being unduly taxed and and overwhelmed with patients if you know death rates are not soaring unacceptably high then you need to find some kind of balance to to start to reopen of course, Donovan, that wasn't the only vagueness coming out of the Central Epidemic Command Centre this week, because, of course, there was talk there. He's basically, they loosened face mask regulations, but there was the use of the word recreational, which led some to think, well, if I'm going for a walk down the high street, I don't need to wear a mask. But then the head of the Central Epidemic Command Centre came out and said, no, basically, it depends on maintaining social distancing. And while, obviously, if you're a riverside park, you can't wear, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you're on a shopping wall, you probably should wear a mask. Ask, but that left other people still scratching their heads. Yeah, I thought this was a, that was very interesting. I mean, if you listen to his comments, it, it, it's essentially what he what Victor Wong was saying was use common sense. In other words, if you're in a position where you can maintain social distancing, then you don't need a mask. But if you are, uh, if you can't maintain social distancing, then you need to wear a mask, which is useful common sense. However, the problem is, uh, is that how then do local governments and uh, police actually enforce this? Because the definition was so vague, um, that becomes hard to enforce. So you've got kind of a tension there between uh, enforceability, which local governments and police want a clarity on, and you also, but you also want flexibility and common sense, which is what I think your average person is looking for. Um, because, you know, so now he did come out and make some things that were clear and, you know, and make it clear for the public what is acceptable. So, for example, riding on a scooter, you don't need to wear a mask, which, of course, is just plain common sense. I don't know why they didn't do this ages ago. Um, you know, you're not going to catch COVID riding down, uh, you know, the street on on a scooter with no mask on. Um, the chances are astronomically small. Um, but he got kind of caught out when he was asked specifically, you know, what do you mean by exercise? And he said, you know, I, I don't really know. How to, he said exercise is hard to define. And, you know, uh, talking about going for a walk and he's like it's okay but if you can maintain social distancing because the context there was say going for a recreational walk for exercise versus going for a walk uh down a crowded high street so uh, i think he's new to the job and he's going to have to come up with uh, some clearer language because at this point there are still fines in effect there are you know still uh, penalties that can be applied by local police for non-compliance with CECC rulings but it, it, if the decision
decisions coming out of the CECC aren't clear, then both the public and the enforcers of these uh, decisions are kind of left in a bit of a quandary, which could create some problems. The virus is here, right? There's nothing we can do about that. Even North Korea, which completely sealed its borders, had a massive outbreak. So the reality is that we've just got to learn to live with it. And that comes in a couple of ways that the government can um, lay down some rules. It can also make some recommendations where we have to make a personal judgment call as well on how on how we live with it and what is our personal level of risk that, that we want to um, exercise. And so obviously, you know, when, when you're in public transport or in, if you're in crowded settings, then masks are compulsory. But I, I don't see what the problem is to have a bit of leeway where you can just make a personal call on something. You know, we're not five-year-olds. Um, the government doesn't have to make everything really prescriptive. Um, and, and people can make a judgment about whether they're walking along a road and there's not many many other people around, so I'll take the mask off. And, you know, the scientific evidence points towards very low risk outdoors in any case. And so I, I don't really see why there's such a fuss about, you know, the government being able to tell us every single uh, circumstance or moment where we have to wear a mask. They're saying that, you know, you have the freedom to to make that call yourself in certain situations. And I, I don't see why that's such a big issue. I mean, you know, if, if you want confusion, look at the UK, where you had the government saying you're only allowed to meet so many people and then having parties at Downing Street. I mean, what, what kind of what kind of impression does that give the public? That's 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 confusion. Do you think Nicola possibly the government was didn't deliberately set out to be confusing, but after it was confusing it realised that if most people are wearing masks and a few people don't, it's not a biggie anymore. Yeah, I mean I I, I think the government is perhaps trying not to prescribe everything. You know, trying to just relax some of the rules without making it a big deal every single time. Um, like, you know, for example, when I came back to uh, Taiwan in late June, I didn't realise I didn't need a PCR on arrival. That I, You know, I know that's been announced now, but at the time it just seemed like that was kind of quietly introduced. And I think there's some things that do need to be quietly introduced because everything becomes a, such a big political issue unnecessarily. And one of the disadvantages of the daily press conference and I do think that the daily press conference has served a, a really great purpose in being transparent with the public um, and that that was a good call overall to have that that um, openness and to, to have this information coming out but there does tend to be a tendency then on the downside that that everyone gets stuck in the weeds about certain issues that just wouldn't normally you know raise an eyebrow you know you have questions like and it did amuse me but you you have questions like should I wear a mask when I'm window shopping I mean you know that's it's it's kind of funny but it's also you know is is that really necessary to like you know just get down into that level of detail when when we don't live in a nanny state people can make their own decisions I, I completely agree with you on all of that um the, the tricky part, though, is that the way that local governments and the way local politics operates and the way local officials operate is they like to have a clear definition 
on what they can enforce and what they can't. And local governments, particularly because this is an election year and the campaigns are now well underway in most areas of the country, the local officials can't take any risks when it comes to pandemic enforcement because there are huge downsides to them looking weak or, or um, you know, looking weak on enforcement of the issue and very few upsides to being lax on the issue politically. So the so local governments and you know and then local police of course are going to be highly sensitive to to this because of course you know they get their commands from on high. So this is I think where a lot of the frustration comes from. The CCC should come out, I, I, in my personal opinion, which is, I think, similar to yours, Nicola, and basically say, you know, if they're, at least if they're going to mandate masks, that they, they say something along the lines of, if you're indoors, then, you know, in a public place, then wear a mask, or something simple, definable, that actually has some common sense behind it. Um, but as things were left kind of the other day, it was, well, if you're outdoors, you, you know, you're, you're exercising, but we don't really know what exercising means. If you're taking a brisk walk, is that exercising? I don't know. If you're window shopping, well, I don't know. You know, it, it was, it was kind of wishy-washy. Um, and I, I honestly, at this point, the, you know, the, if you look at the fatalities and serious illnesses cases, they're so low that I think we're getting pretty much into the influenza territory here uh, that you know we're we're getting much closer to omicron being much more like the seasonal flu than a scary pandemic although there are issues of course with long covid and you know uh, people with a, who are immunocompromised and elderly and so on and so forth they do you know maybe there's i think there there need to be some special precautions for those people but i don't think that right now we're now living with a pandemic that is so scary or so destructive that we need to be upending uh, normal business on a mass scale. I mean, perhaps wearing, uh, you know, masks in indoors in public places may still make sense because of the news subvariants, but you know, I, I think it's time that, that the, they start loosening up. I would actually agree on that point that um, I think there's a happy medium where having now been out of the country a couple of times in the past few months and having seeing how people are living with it outside of Taiwan, I do think there's there's you need to get a balance between not forgetting that there's a pandemic and there still needs to be some measures and people need to be aware of you know how to protect themselves and not focusing far too much on the pandemic. And I think Taiwan errs on the side of um, just concentrating too much on the pandemic being, you know, the, the awareness is high, but almost to the point where people are focusing on it and talking about it too much. And, you know, when it comes to masks, I do think that rather than getting into the, the nitty gritty details of everywhere that you can wear a mask or not, that people should look at the science and look at 
you know, what the science is saying about how low the transmission is outdoors. And before we go this week, owners of motorcycles with an engine capacity greater than 250cc have been holding a series of protests this month on their continuing to be banned from driving on all of the island's freeways. Now, the protest has seen hog owners, well, riding their motorbikes on freeways. And organisers have said that those participating in the protest are voicing their right to access freeways. And according to organisers of the Ride on Highways protests, participants are adhering to traffic regulations, albeit the fact they shouldn't be on the freeways in the first place but they're also not inconveniencing other road users and paying any fines they may incur now motorcycles greater than 250 cc are currently only allowed to access a certain section of national freeway number three but in 2012 lawmakers actually passed an amendment to the road traffic management act which basically said well motorcycles greater than 550 cc can use all of the island's freeways and as we have donovan on today's show who's the proud owner of a triumph 850 well what's your take on the ongoing ban donovan and would you ride your hog on the freeways if you could i already have <laughs> I, I but it was admittedly by accident um you can ride on the uh, uh, on elevated expressways, and uh, I accidentally took a uh, when I went into Zhanghua County, it, it, the, the expressway merged into a freeway at one point, and uh, so uh, for a little while I was on the freeway, and actually several times, uh, even with uh, a 125 motorcycle uh, many years ago, I accidentally ended up on the freeway for similar reasons. Um, but I, I've noticed that there, I haven't, I, I didn't join the protest. Uh, I haven't had time, uh, you know, otherwise I'd uh, perhaps go out and dress colorfully and go do it. But it doesn't really look like anybody is. I, I haven't, I, I noticed there was a lot of press coverage about them going to do it. And I've seen basically no press coverage of really much actually happening. In other words, the protest didn't seem to attract very, very many people doing it. Now, as for the actual issue, it does seem a little bit odd that, you know, it's, um, motorcycles are like cars, motor vehicles, and if you can go fast enough and you follow the regulations, um, then I don't see any reason why these kinds of motor vehicle operators versus other types of motor vehicle operators should not be able to exercise their rights to, you know, to transportation freely on the, in the country's transportation system. I, I'll admit, though, there are some motorcycle riders who are just simply idiots, um, who flout the rules, who do illegal things, and are offensive. On the other hand, I'd notice that a lot of car drivers do the same thing. And uh, in several cases, I've had car drivers do intentionally dangerous things to me while I was riding as a heavy motorcycle rider, uh, trying to force me out, out of a lane in, and into oncoming traffic and things like that. And they were doing it very intentionally. Um, you know, in a very bullying and uh, threatening kind of manner that was, <laughs> frankly, quite frightening. Um, so there's a lot of bad behavior on the roads, but I think that motorcyclists are being penalized um, for bad behavior of some motorcyclists 
when there are car drivers who are also, uh, you know, I, I'd argue a similar percentage are also, you know, bad, bad actors. But here's the thing. Government officials generally drive cars. And so they're going to look out for their own interests. And they really, you know, you don't see very many bureaucrats riding big motorcycles. So as long as that remains the case, I really don't think that we're going to get a fair hearing. And of course, Nicola, the government has banned heavy motorbikes from the freeways, citing the danger of riding a motorcycle on a freeway. Mm. I think it's probably, well, I think it is. Uh, dangerous to drive a motorcycle anywhere, but it's also dangerous to be on the roads in Taiwan. It's dangerous to be a pedestrian. It's um, you know dangerous to cross the road. And I, I think the government's missing the point here that it's not just about one particular vehicle. It's not just about motorcycles. It's about road safety in general, and it's about teaching um, better driving. It's about having better driving tests that teach actual road realities rather than just going around a prescribed course that you memorize. It's about better road design. It's about uh, public awareness campaigns about road safety. Taiwan has one of the highest uh, road uh, fatality rates among developed nations. And so I think there needs to be a wider discussion about how to keep people safe on the roads. And it's not just, you know, a, a kind of simple thing like banning motorcycles on the, on the highway. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today in the studio by Nicholas Smith. It's been great to be here. And by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And great to be back. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.